At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You got problems that you ought to be concerned with. Hoo-ah! You don't know how you're supposed to earn it or what to do with it or how to keep it. You're a freak with a dark, shameful secret. But you're not the only one. Get your hidden financial fears with a blast of sun. Well, hello, financial scholars. It's me, your hapless professor, Gabby Dunn. Just kidding, you guys. I am nowhere near a professor. On this week's episode, you'll hear me actually ask someone what money is. Don't laugh. Could you really answer that question? What's money? Right, exactly. I didn't think so. Anyway, this week, we're examining another value system that we just made up out of thin air. Cryptocurrency. Please don't turn it off. Please don't turn it off. If you think the dollars and cents we carry around in our pockets or wallets all the time are, when you think about it, kind of meaningless, cryptocurrency might be even more absurd. But please bear with me. In case you're new to this whole phenomenon or have just been avoiding any news article with Bitcoin in the headline, here's a basic primer. Bitcoin is a cryptocurrency. Which means there's a level of cryptography involved. It's decentralized, so it isn't owned or regulated by any one company. And there's a finite amount of it. So in that sense, it's kind of like gold. And actually, the metaphor goes even further. Because one way to get Bitcoin is to mine it. How does that work? Stay tuned, you guys. Stay tuned. (laughs) Whenever a transaction is made using Bitcoin, okay... It spurs a process that involves a big, complicated math problem that encodes the information from that transaction into something called a block. Whoever can do the computation the fastest wins the Bitcoin bounty. The block is then added to a chain of other blocks, making a blockchain. The blockchain is stored on a network of computers, and it's basically what runs Bitcoin. You can think of it as like a ledger. So on and on the process goes. Every time a Bitcoin is spent, new Bitcoin is created through this mining process. That is, until we run out of Bitcoin. And here's the thing. Not everyone can be a Bitcoin miner. 
you have to have a room full of super powerful computers and you're going to rack up a massive energy bill. Right, so all of that was very confusing. And it feels like I'm trusting my financial interests to a bunch of math wizards with giant computer servers. But do you know how your bank sends a wire transfer? Or how money you deposit with a check makes it to your savings account? The truth is, you don't really need to know how it works to get started using it. Maybe we should all wise up to it, though, because according to some people, it's going to save us all. Bitcoins are booming. The price of one unit of the digital currency jumped during the past few weeks from about $40 to nearly $150. For anyone who's ever suffered the incompetence of a bank or bristled at fees involved in spending money, the promise of Bitcoin is a kind of holy grail. Before we get too carried away, buying Bitcoin and Dogecoin and Ethereum or Ripple to line our digital wallets, I want to approach this whole cryptocurrency thing like the buzzkill that I am, with a healthy dose of skepticism. That's why you guys love me in the show, right? I hope. Come on, stick with me. And we're back with Angela Walsh, Associate Professor at St. Mary's University School of Law. She studies money and the law, and specifically cryptocurrency. I decided to start with the deep questions. What is money? <laughs> so my answer to that is that nobody knows what money really is. And Great. Yes. Uh, so you can be reassured if you don't know either. Um, there's lots of great quotes once you start getting into the material, um, you know, that people acknowledge that no one knows why money works or what it really is. And there have been different <laughs> definitions of it over time. And I think it's still unresolved. Bitcoin actually... Uh, changed the way I, I do think about money um, in that I, it was illuminating to me that money really can be just something that we use to keep track of resources. And Bitcoin, which, you know, using blockchain technology is really just a list that keeps track of who has what claims on things. Well, um, to me, you know, you can make an analogy um, to the dollars that we use Generally, right, they just indicate how much of a claim on someone else's resources we can make. So Bitcoin writes it down, but dollars are just another manifestation of that. So uh, money as record keeping, I think, really came out to me from uh, thinking about how Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies work. So it is just record keeping, like it's kind of a system that we made up. It trips me out all the time to be like, we made this up and now there's Bitcoin and we made that up too. Yes. It, is it just like to keep is that all it is? It really is just made up. There is no thing that is a Bitcoin. It is a, a line on a list that people just wrote down and said, well, this is a Bitcoin and um, your password or private key that you have, um, when you run it through the software, you can uh, use your private key to say, well, I want to send this made up thing of Bitcoin to somebody else. So then it gets added to the list, you know, that you sent X amount of made up Bitcoin to somebody else and people just go from there. And it's it's really a social agreement, right, that we all agree that this thing we all made up together just works and it has value. And, you know, there's certainly analogies to, you know, what we more traditionally think of as money. Why do we think that a piece of paper in our wallet, this dollar bill, has any sort of value? It's just because we have agreed to that 
form of value, right? Right. It's not like the paper intrinsically has some value. It's paper, it's cotton, whatever else they now put into dollar bills. So is that how you would best explain it? Like to someone who's new to cryptocurrency, like there's these lines of code and then the blockchain kind of enables it to work. Is that well basically it? You can go into a lot of different ways of explaining it, right? We could we could write and there have been books written about how it works. But one of the things that's special about this list is uh, that the idea is that you don't have to trust any single party. Okay, and um, it's it's outside the control of any single party to manipulate this system in a certain way. And that is said to be very different from our other forms of money, which we're used to using money that is um, issued by governments, right? Central banks. Mm. So it has an institution that stands behind it. But, you know, some people don't trust these institutions um, in the past institutions were seen to be the most trustworthy thing there could be. But we've seen, and not just in the money sense, that our institutions are um, not widely trusted these days. So the idea is that if you can have money that's independent of a flawed institution, then there's something powerful about that. And you're kind of opting out and building your own system with these cryptocurrencies. It's not government affiliated. Thus, you don't have to trust governments. Now, I, I can critique that, um, but that is one of, the, one of the, um, the things that people celebrate these cryptocurrencies for, is that the idea is, you know, you get away from governments, and um, the messaging around them is that you don't have to trust, really, people anymore as well, mm-hmm. right? These systems just run. Um, the discussion of that very much neglects the the people that are still running the systems, the software developers who create the right. code, and these um, the the people who actually maintain this record. And the record is maintained. Like, who is paying to keep this list? Well, it's this whole network of computers all over the world. Um, they're called miners mm-hmm. in cryptocurrency lingo. Um, but all they're doing is essentially processing these transactions. So you're trusting these people um, to not screw you either. Okay, so we're, my, my arguments are that, um, well, we may not be trusting these centralized governments anymore, but we're definitely still trusting someone. And should we be yeah. trusting those people? Yeah, so, so what do you... What do you think could go wrong? Like, what's worst case scenario? Because everyone's so, like, breathless and excited about this kind of stuff, like, quote, unquote, saving us all. Mm-hmm. So, like, what in your mind do you do you try to tell people, like, hey, let's take a second. Like, this could happen. Sure. Okay. So, the, the number one thing that no one has explained to me why this is not a risk that we should worry about is what's called 51% attacks. Okay. And it's really funny. There's so much jargon in this area. But uh, 51% attack simply means that this whole network of computers that uh, runs these systems maintains the list. In many of these cryptocurrencies, there's an assumption built into them that the record keepers, these miners, are not going to act um, are not going to collude. They're not going to try to seize control of the system. The idea is that all the economic incentives that have been established um, in the building of the system and the design of the system make it such that it's against anyone's interest to screw it up. Well, 
I, I'm very skeptical of that. Um, the 51% attack is um, what, what is called when, you know, a single miner or could be a group of miners um, obtains more than 51% of the processing power on the network. And that means that they essentially get to decide what ends up on this list. Okay. And the list is the core of the system, right? So if miners um, decide to take control of the ledger, then, you know, all bets are off. And this is not just a hypothetical situation. Um, in the past few weeks, there's actually been a number of 51% attacks on some of these smaller cryptocurrencies like um, Bitcoin Gold uh, because they don't have a lot of computing power devoted to their network yet. So it's pretty easy for people to just decide to take it over. Okay. And what happens then? Who, who's doing that? Who did good that? Good question. Um, people don't necessarily have to reveal themselves in these in these worlds, right? So Great. one of the, the other hallmarks of these systems is, well, people were initially saying they're anonymous, but now people um, have realized they're not really anonymous. They're pseudon pseudonymous or pseudonymous. I never can pronounce that right. Okay. Um, which means <laughs> that, you know, it doesn't immediately show up who the person is. You don't have to put your name on the blockchain uh, or Bitcoin when you do a transaction. But... If people want to devote enough effort to it through different um, computing forensics, they can figure out who the parties are by their IP address or by uh, ways that people slip up um, that connect who they are on the Internet to who they are in the real world. Okay, so it's a myth that these things are anonymous, but no one has figured out who uh, these hackers are, to my knowledge yet, or um, who these particular miners were. And that is one of the things that's most troubling to me is the um, the great power that I see these miners in the networks wielding, but the fact that they're incredibly secretive and, um, you know, they, they don't there's, there's no processes or practices in place that have them kind of giving any sort of disclosure about what their plans are, who they are. It's all very informal and messy and, and secretive, I would say. But we do know that certain miners, for instance, in the Bitcoin and Ethereum systems, which are the two dominant cryptocurrencies at the moment, that very few miners actually dominate these systems. So it's like three or four miners dominate such that, you know, for me, it would be easy to envision them taking control of the system if there's only three or four actual players. So while the discussion is always that, oh, these are decentralized, there's thousands of computers all over the world maintaining these systems, right? The reality is that power is very concentrated and you're trusting particular people to you know, abide by the rules. So, okay, but nobody really does do, like, this is my whole thing, is oftentimes I'll, when we're talking about money stuff, it, like, relies on everyone obeying the rules, and that so rarely happens. Yes, I'm with you there. Okay, great. Yeah, so, but they, that's very, it's a very interesting thing with respect to these systems because there's a lot of research going on in this new field called crypto economics, okay? And mm -hmm. um, crypto economics is basically... Um, the idea of using economic incentives to design uh, cryptographic systems. With crypto economics, the idea is that people who are designing these cryptocurrencies are trying to structure them such that 
according to economic mm-hmm. incentives that you know everyone apparently should be following, that these systems will be secure, they'll be protected from any sort of outside attacks. Okay, so lots of experimentation, lots of development going on here. And they're drawing from fields like game theory, and then it's kind of reverse, um, which is mechanism design, like figuring out how how to design a system that then will be secure because everyone will follow the economic incentives baked into it. I'm skeptical that that I think we're putting a lot more confidence on economic models there than we should have, um, kind of looking at our history. Yeah. So it's supposed to be this like new thing, but they want it to follow similar models. And then also like, I mean, what you're talking about is someone just takes this over and takes everyone's money. Well, um, so they could take everyone's money. They could discriminate against particular people trying to make transactions if they're, they have an enemy. Or something they could decide to. So oh. there's these cryptocurrency exchanges um, that are, are where people go to cash to exchange their you know regular money like dollars or euros or whatever and get cryptocurrencies in exchange. And the exchanges thus have to interact with the blockchain software to record their trades on it, right? Um, so those yeah. are significant. Um, parties in um, interacting with the blockchain. So what if a group of miners decided we want to bring this single exchange down because, you know, whatever random reason it is. Well, if they took over the network, they could discriminate it against against a particular exchange and leave the others unscathed, right? There's lots of manipulation that could happen. And if people lose trust in these systems, well, you can imagine how quickly the value of the cryptocurrency on there would fall, Right. Um, When it's revealed that, you know, all is not well, essentially. And I'm nervous that these kinds of uh, risks and issues are not part of the mainstream discussion. No. Well, people get really excited about new stuff. And then ultimately, I think a lot of times it goes back to like the same um I don't know. It's hard because you don't want to be the person who's like, boo on innovation. But also like you, you know, it goes back to the same stuff. When you were talking about discrimination, it made me think like, of course, like it's going to be the same kind of thing where we're going to like keep women and minority other minorities out in some way more than just like, oh, I, my enemy, I don't want my enemy to make transactions like someone could get in charge that is just like, nope, and now not for these people, you know? Absolutely. Um, and, you know, kind of related to that, there is a lot of discussion in the um, the cryptocurrency and blockchain space about the lack of diversity with within the mm-hmm. communities. It's, it's kind of repeating um, the lack of diversity that comes from, you know, to its dominant fields, tech and finance, which have very few women right. or people of color. And, you know, you bring you bring those fields together in a, a hybrid and you end up with a similar dynamic. So absolutely, discrimination is a problem. Um, what, what I'm concerned about is us believing that we're going to a world where we've solved the power structure problems, mm-hmm. right? That Oh, because these are decentralized, you don't have any concentrations of power. It's it's great. We've now avoided these mm-hmm. problems that we see with, you know, uh, the the big tech superpowers like Facebook or Amazon or or whatever. We've we've gotten away from that. It's decentralized. There's no more power silos, but power is still there, and we're just potentially missing it, just like we did with mm-hmm. with the way that tech grew up, 
right? There was a whole democratization um, discussion that was happening at the time the internet was growing up and, you know, the world is going to be a much better place. Well, what did we do? We built just new concentrated power structures. And I think we stand a good chance of doing that and perhaps already have in this cryptocurrency world. Well, how do uh, like policymakers view the the cryptocurrency space? Like, do they get how to treat the technology effectively or like where does regulation or, or policy fit in? Like what needs, in your mind, legal scrutiny as a person who teaches a class about the law and cryptocurrency? Mm-hmm. So it's fascinating for any lawyer or legal scholar to get to look at this world and people are rapidly jumping into it. Um, there are countless areas where cryptocurrencies impact policy, and this means that there is a mad rush with regulators and policymakers around the world to try to figure this out and to um, come up with a regulatory regime for it that's appropriate. And there have been, you know, dominant themes to this conversation. One of them is always, you know, we don't want to stifle innovation that could potentially be beneficial. And at the same time, we Mm -hmm. want to protect consumers, right? So a lot of the attention right now has been about um, kind of going after ferreting out scams that are happening in the space. And there have been a lot Right. Over uh, the course of 2017, this new phenomenon called initial coin offerings became really popular and billions of, of dollars were invested in these offerings of, quote, tokens or coins. And many of those were scams, complete scams. And the SEC and other regulators are now going after those. So um, to me, you kind of have to draw a line between um people that are trying to legitimately build a structure that they believe will be good and doing going about it in a responsible way versus just complete scam artists. And there is a distinction in the space. And right now I see um, regulators going after the, the scam artists primarily. It's kind of like when you don't know what something is, you just are like, yeah, let's just dive headfirst into it. Like when like when something comes out and it's like, this is the new Twitter and then everyone joins it to try to get a good username. But then it's like, never mind, this was a scam. And now we have all your information, which happens so often. Yes, yes. But this is like money. Yes. This is like that, but with money. Yes, exactly. We're going to oh make up money God. and whose money do you believe is the best, right? So again, this kind of highlights the fact that um, money is a group agreement and it's it's what you're willing to, you know, pledge your allegiance to. Which group do you think is going to be the most powerful? And that's manifested in our um, sovereign currencies, right? You know, the U.S. dollar has a great deal of power and it has historically and that's probably in large part tied to people's faith in the stability, the long-term stability um, of the U.S. and that it has, you know, good prospects for the future. Something we touched on a little bit in this conversation is the exclusivity of the industry. It's like the finance industry and the tech industry got together and had a baby that basically loves white men as much as its parent industries. So I wanted to learn a bit more about how a brand new industry is repeating the issues of lack of access and empowerment as the old financial system and how that could change. We'll find out after the break. And we're back. 
Laura Shin is a cryptocurrency journalist and the host of two podcasts about the industry, Unchained and Unconfirmed. I worked on the first Forbes crypto rich list that came out in the winter. And if you look at it, it's all men. Uh, and so, you know, if we are really committed to the ideals that a lot of people espouse in the space of democratizing access to finance and all that and for financial inclusion, then we need to be thinking about, hey, what are we building that is just replicating the power structures that we've had in society all along? Like, you know, maybe we should um, be thinking about why it is that um, all the richest people in crypto are still mostly white men. Um, you know, why, what are we built? You know, how can we build this in a way where, um, that doesn't happen again? And so, you know, I definitely think it's something that people should be aware of. Um, I also want them to know that it's, it is getting better, but I think part of the fact that it's getting better happens to be because we're conscious of the fact that it is an issue. Um, like, for instance, you might have heard that the North American Bitcoin conference in the winter um, had a networking event at a strip club. And the thing is that a lot of what? Yeah, like there there was a lot of huh. um, outrage about it this winter. But the thing is, I had known before about that conference because the previous year, back when crypto was much, much smaller, that I saw on Twitter that one of my sources took a photo of himself at the North American Bitcoin conference, standing next to a naked woman painted with gold paint. And he was like, you know, this, this conference is lit or I don't remember what his comment was, something like that. <laughs> and I just remember thinking to myself, I'm never going to that conference. And so this year when all these people were outraged about the strip club thing, I realized like, oh, like I kind of already knew that that was the conference to avoid. <clears throat> and I, I told some women like in some like women in blockchain groups, like, hey, like I saw this happen last year. Like I kind of don't recommend that conference. Um, but, mm -hmm. you know, they went anyway because like they live near the Miami area. It's like easy for them to get to compared to some of the other conferences. So, um, so yeah, I do think that it is an issue that should continue to be highlighted. However, when it is highlighted, highlighted, I would like it to also be known that there are a lot of women doing amazing things. Uh, it's just that we need more of them and we need, um, to get the word out more to female investors as well, because as you know, uh, women live longer and they tend to have not as much money saved in retirement because maybe they might've taken some, um, years off from working for uh, having family, or it might just be because they're paid less than men <laughs> most of the time, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. or because they're discriminated against and uh, bump up against the glass ceiling and are not promoted in, at the same rate that men are. So there are so many reasons why um, the fact that you know women have tended in our society to not accumulate as much wealth as men is a problem. And then compound that with the fact that they live longer. Um, you know, I really feel like, hey, we have this opportunity here with this new financial system that we're building to remedy all these problems of the old one. What would be the benefit of having more more women or non-binary people or people of color or all three involved like involved in that that aspect of the of Bitcoin? Like what would be the huge benefit? Well, I just think when you're designing these systems, if you have multiple perspectives in the room, you're going to probably come up with something that's more inclusive. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, something that's a little bit interesting to me is you have these people who they can talk all day about the democratizing aspect of blockchain technology and how we're building this more egalitarian world. 
but they're also the same people who they were, you know, like white guys early on who amassed a ton of coins and are like super wealthy now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. um, I have had some people say to me, they're, they're actually men too, uh, which is fine. But, um, you know, one of them said to me like, Oh, I want to build a blockchain where everybody gets a coin. And, uh, there are some people looking at doing universal basic income with the blockchain. So I think there are definitely people who maybe are thinking still in that realm. Uh, but the fact of the matter is like, yeah, you got rich off this early anyway, (laughs) Um, which, you know, I like, I kind of go back and forth on that. Like, I, you know, my ancestry is Korean, right? And so you look at like communism and it's just like that did not work out well at all. (laughs) It was like terrible for everyone, right? So I don't want to say like everything has to be like equal down to the penny. Um, But I do think that there is some middle ground here, right? We've got like people who are already billionaires based off their cryptocurrency holdings. And then we've got uh, the vast majority of the world, you know, like 95% of the world or whatever that has zero cryptocurrency. So, um, yeah, there's definitely room for us to, to, um, achieve more of this egalitarian ideal that cryptocurrency people espouse. So some people might say because it's cryptocurrency, there are no barriers to entry, um, which we've talked about a little bit, but other people might say, well, of course there are barriers to entry. There's, you know, that's the experience with almost everything with tech. Um, can you, uh, what's your experience been in that regard? So here's my thing about barriers. So the interesting thing, it's funny that you say that actually, because I so often hear the opposite, um, (laughs) from my Twitter followers and they tend to be men, of course, who they're like, the reason that there are so few women in the industry is because they're not interested. There are zero barriers to crypto. Anybody can join. Da, 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 da. Like you can just buy from local bitcoins. You can like they they just act like there are zero barriers. And what I like to say to them is, okay, right. So it's like we're all born in a bubble and we walk around in these bubbles and are treated equally in these bubbles until the moment we're introduced to crypto. And that's why uh, yes, when women are introduced, they're not interested. Um, but you know, men are interested, right? And no, it's like, it's completely not the case. Like from the moment we're born, we're treated differently based on whether we know we're based on our gender. And so like, there are so many barriers to crypto, um, long, long before anybody's even introduced to crypto, right? Simply starting with the fact that like, just because there are more men in the industry, uh, right now already, that means that men are more likely to introduce their male friends to it, right? And like, just because there are fewer women, like there aren't as many women to introduce it to their female friends. So there are so many, I like, I, I frankly don't think that the barriers are that different from the barriers that uh, lead to gender imbalances in the finance and tech industry. But I think because this is the combination of those two industries, I think maybe that means that the um, gender ratio is going to be even more imbalanced in crypto and it is so far. So um, I, I don't know if there are any barriers that are particular to crypto. Um, I, like I said, I think it's all the same barriers we're seeing in the finance and tech worlds. What made you get involved in cryptocurrency? Why are you why are you interested in the space? I began to believe that this technology was probably going to transform our world over the next few decades. 
as much as, if not more, than the internet has over the last two. There were just things that it can do that that I began to understand that I really felt would be revolutionary. And I think the other part of it that interested me was the the financial inclusion aspect, um, because you know, I'd been covering personal finance, so I sort of understood a lot about um, poverty or problems that the unbanked have. And, um, and I feel like there are a lot of issues around um, access to finance that also impact certain demographic groups, such as women uh, that I'm a part of, <laughs> that made me feel like this really had the potential to do a lot of good. As I've learned more, however, you know, I also realize now there's a lot of potential to do bad. But initially, what what really captured my imagination was this conception that this could democratize access to to money for a lot of people that don't have it right now. Yeah, I was reading some stuff and it was like, you know, it's a way to send money that people that are unbanked or that like, nor it doesn't matter if you have credit, like all that kind of stuff. And and that was like the best argument that I've heard sort of thus far in terms of like leveling the, the playing field. But a lot of people that, um, that we've talked to said it's kind of started out the same way that any like industry or, uh, like money thing or tech thing starts out, which is with like, you know, straight white old dudes or just straight white bros. Um, so uh, through all the people that you've talked to in your reporting, like what are the big ways you've seen the industry change since you started covering it? Like, is it getting more inclusive or like what's changed? It definitely is getting more inclusive. And part of the reason for that is simply just because there were more people in it. So like by sheer mm. number of the fact that there are more people, there are a lot more women to quote in my articles and interview for my podcasts. Um, but <laughs> the fact of the matter is that it's still quite imbalanced. And um, a lot of people in positions of power are still the same types of people that you would see in positions of power in traditional finance and in tech. So I think there's still a long way to go, but simply because 2017 was such a breakout year for the space and it attracted so many different types of people, I think there were a lot more of the the types of people that you wouldn't expect uh, that got introduced. And because I'm never satisfied, I also wanted to think a little deeper about access and equity in cryptocurrency. It's one thing to have input and involvement from people of color and women and other marginalized peoples and all of the above in the process of building the technology, but it's also another thing to have the technology benefit communities of color. We're not very good at benefiting communities of color, in case you guys hadn't noticed. We'll talk about how that applies to cryptocurrency after the break. We are once again back. Tavana Evans is an entrepreneur and founder of Guapcoin, and I'll let her explain it. But guys, it's really interesting. So tell me about Guapcoin. What made you want to make a cryptocurrency with this kind of mission and explain like the mission a little bit? Because it's not like Bitcoin. It's, you know, it works a little differently. Right. Well, it's a two part thing. Um, this is my second startup. My first startup is a platform called Safe to Meet that I developed and founded. 
And it was very difficult for us to find funding for Safe to Me. And if you ever delved into how funding goes, women are getting like 1% of the funding that's being uh, issued out to startups. And, you know, over time and then black women, even lower than one percent. <laughs> so yeah. we were not getting funding. So my solution to everything is create your own. <laughs> mm-hmm. So if you're not getting what you need, you're going to have to look at ways to think, look outside of the box and create your own. So that's one element of it. The other element is I'm real integrally involved in the community and you know, I'm a real big, avid um, opponent to gentrification and stuff like that. And I feel that these things happen because of the devalued contribution that uh, people of color and minorities make to this country. Like, mm-hmm. for instance, the numbers say that um, black people spend, and this was in 2016, $1.2 trillion wow. a year. And very little of that goes back to where it originates. And that's not mm-hmm. how the circle of wealth and prosperity flows everywhere else. You know, it circles back into their communities. But in the Black community, the dollar only stays um, minutes in the community, whereas in other communities, it stays up to 30 days. Mm -hmm. So somehow there's a disconnect between um, what we're putting out, we're not getting back, So what we're seeking to do with Guapcoin is tokenize our spending, meaning create an instrument that we can use and that we can um, track and monitor and see the impact of our contribution to our community, how we can enable merchants, black merchants, to grow and offset the uh, damage and effects of gentrification in our community. So do you want it to be more individuals using Guapcorn or do you want more like black owned businesses to be using? Yeah, it starts out with the businesses and merchants that are signed up to the program and they're signed up to accept it. Then it's whoever wants to spend it. It's not like it, it's not barring anyone from using Guapcoin, but the businesses that are going to be set up to be able to benefit from it are the businesses that are a part of the program and that are in the community. Because there's incentives to spend at black owned businesses, right? Yes. We incentivize it by offering rewards and um, creating reward pools that are voted and distributed to certain aspects of society. So whether it's for philanthropy efforts or HBCUs, historically black-owned colleges, or um, just charity organizations. Well, so it's interesting. A friend of mine, um, because I'm queer, and a friend of mine created a a document um, called Cryptocurrency Guide for Queers. And her whole deal Uh was like... Yeah. And her whole deal was like sending it out to a lot of us. And it was like, hey, um, you know, this is a thing that's run primarily by a certain type of person, like a straight white guy. Uh, I want other people of my minority group to be involved in cryptocurrency. And so it's similar to what you're doing, although yours is on a grander scale. But, uh-huh. you know, why is it important to change the face of cryptocurrency in this way? Like, why, you know, is it like we're missing out on something if we don't get involved or we're scared of it? Like, what's going on? Well, it's very important to change it because we don't want to repeat the past. This is a new thing, you know? Mm-hmm. So what you have is people who have traditionally been in control and interest in the past rushing into this new space and gathering control again and trying to bring the same old laws, old rules, old people into governance in this space. And this space is supposed to be largely decentralized, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But when you bring the factors of 
you know, the path, which could be i.e. Wall Street, whoever, when you bring them into this, then you're bringing back the same centralization control um, that we're trying to navigate away from. Right. Yeah, we don't. We It's like an opportunity to not replicate the power structure. Um, but why do you think minorities are, are terrified of cryptocurrency? <laughs> <laughs> um, partially, it's an issue of value. Because I've talked to many people, I've talked to people even in very high positions, and for the longest time, they thought Bitcoin was like monopoly money. They didn't even know it was really worth anything. Right. Because they don't understand how value is built. So one of the things that I do when I speak a lot on cryptocurrency is I go over a little exercise on how you can build value from nothing to show people that this is how money is built. This is how, you know, because we've lived in a paradigm of the dollar all our lives. It's mm-hmm. been here all our lives, and we don't really know how it was built and what keeps its value. And that's mm-hmm. just the average person. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's sort of like investing, where you just feel like if I don't know everything about it, it's too risky or I'm scared. Like, I don't know. Exactly. It just isn't marketed to anyone other than, like, white tech bros. And also, right, like, right. I mean, how many other black women are involved in cryptocurrency? Mm, that's a good question. <laughs> Is I, it just, I'm, like... You see some. <laughs> I see some. I've been speaking at a lot of conferences, and they always walk up to me afterwards, and I see some here and there. Yeah. Um, but while I'm at the conferences, of course, I see a congregation of white guys, you know, right. grouped together. And, and these are the people that are running these conferences and presenting these conferences. So I know that could be intimidating in itself. But me being in the tech world, I'm, like, used to that already. You know what I mean? So it's like, that's nothing to me. I'm just kind of, you know, of course, of course, other people on the outside are going to be like, oh, wow, do I really fit here? You know, of course. And the the risk you run is that, yeah, like you said, then it just it just uh, recreates the same power structure. Right. And we and we can get out ahead of it. We can we can maybe maybe change it from the jump, you know, because I think the value in it is showing people is like, again, even back to what I said with our value, the value is showing value. You know what I mean? Because you're going to be more accommodating and open and, um, to, for for instance, queer people, you're going to be more accommodating if you know, you can identify the dollars that's coming in through that source, you know what I mean? You can identify the value and the worth. So that's why it's important that people create these social economies based off of cryptocurrency so that they can show their input and their value to anybody's product, whether you're yeah. conservative or whatever, part of your, your business money is coming from this, these people. And you mm. probably close if you didn't serve everybody. You understand? Yeah. So I think that's why it's so important. I imagine like, is it kind of safer? Like, because you're talking about it being anonymous I almost feel like minorities would be drawn to it because it's maybe more secure. Well, or outs- people, I don't know. people are drawn to it because it's a system that is decentralized and, and removes the middleman and enables you to transact without the intervention of government authorities or anything, you know. So let's say you're from Mexico and you want to send your family some, you know, funds down to Mexico. Now you can send them crypto down there without going through Western Union, this, that, and mm-hmm. the next thing. 
and just send them some crypto and they can convert that crypto over to their funds and have their money, you know, a lot simpler without the intervention of all types of government authorities and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So as you can see, it brings the world closer together. And also that eliminates the government. Like, for instance, let's say your family lives in a destabilized country and they lock down the, you know, financial system or this or that. But if your family has that address, no matter what, you can always send funds to that address. No matter where they go, they always have access to that on the blockchain. So that's what makes it really powerful. Mm -hmm. So it's like if I'm a refugee and I'm trying to get out of this country, (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I could go to Switzerland, get to my wallet, and I still have my money, you know? And then you can sell it at any time and get, like, dollars back, right? It's getting easier and easier as the days go by. I mean, originally, you know, back in the days, it was a little bit more difficult to change it over, but now it is really drop dead simple to change it to fiat. What's fiat? I'm um, sorry, dollars. <laughs> oh, why is it called that? Well, fiat is is the term for encompassing any type of dollar. So we don't want to call it dollar, and it's not a dollar in ah. it's not a, a dollar in Mexico or somewhere else. It's a peso. So you just say fiat because that kind of encompasses all of those hard, you know, currencies. So what's the like dream future with Guapcoin? Like, what do you hope to see or, you know, how do you hope to see it help the black community or or women in general? Well, I hope to see it, first of all, open up the way for many other cryptos. You know what I mean? Mm. Because this is going to be like a crypto world. Cryptos are going to be like the new website. Like, I got to get a crypto. I got to start a coin, you know? So I'm hoping that it opens up the way for that and for it to be more competitive in that area. We're also hoping that it opens up the way to um, provide it to be a funding source for businesses in our community, you know? Yeah. So that's the ultimate goal, to be that source of funding where you, if you're trying to open a business or you want to expand your business in the community and you have this that you can tap into. Mm-hmm. Are there other companies or ideas that are like particularly interesting? Are there other people that are kind of doing stuff similar to you or like? Yeah, there are. They, they're kind of calling them like social coins. You know what I mean? Interesting. So there's a whole budding environment in that. And as a matter of fact, there's another coin that I'm really closely associated with, um, a community called Wakoinda. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's Wakanda. wonderful. Yeah, Wakoinda has thousands of members already. So um, they're a budding and thriving community and they're basing essentially off of the same principles that we are. So this is their entryway in and it's getting them very excited about it. So folks, if anything, this episode made me think about what I know about our own analog money system and how it works. Okay, Bitcoin is confusing. It's starting to repeat the racist, sexist leanings of the traditional financial system. And it uses up as much energy to mine as the Netherlands. Yes, the entire country uses in a year. So all of that is bad. But what of our traditional money and banking system? What are its flaws and where could I be banking and spending my money to align with my values? I'm not going to tell you to go out and get some cryptocurrency because I barely understand it. And I've been told you shouldn't invest in things you don't understand. Although I do have Litecoin and some Bitcoin, but very small amounts. Uh, And I super do not understand them. And I think they've lost me $200. But anyway, do your research and figure out if it makes sense for you. I don't even know if it makes sense for me, but I'm doing it. 
And if it does make sense for you, find a socially conscious coin to put your money behind. Who knows? It might just pay off one day. Or maybe, as Laura Shin speculated, one day not too far in the future, we'll all be using cryptocurrency without even realizing it. I do think that there will be a time when people are using this, but they're not aware. But that's going to be kind of a while because basically... That's interesting. Yeah, it's like like if you think of if you think of it this way for the internet, you know, you had TCP IP, uh, you had HTTP for web, you had SMTP for email, you had uh, voice over IP for things like Skype. All these had to be built, right? And then after they were built, then you could have the consumer facing applications. So we're in like the really early stages with the blockchain technology stack and um, all the different kind of like bottom layers of that stack need to be built before we can get to the things where like everyday people are going to be using this for products and services in their lives. Thanks for listening to Bad With Money. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes and be sure to tell all your friends who are bad with money that this is the show for them. Also tell your friends who became billionaires thanks to Bitcoin. Also, I should really look into if my coins are ethical. Oh boy, I'm so good at this stuff. We're part of the Panoply Network. Our producers are Lindsay Cradwell, Sam Dingman, and Cameron Drews. We're edited by Chiquita Pascal. Andy Bowers is Panoply's chief content officer. Original music for our show was composed by Zach Sherwin, Mike Kaplan, and Jack Dolgen. And our theme song is performed by Sam Barbera, who I just met for the first time this week. And she's super cool. Follow her on Instagram. Our show art is by Cameron Glavin and Dan Blondell. I'm Gabby Dunn. See you next week. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.